The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. For those of you who are going to be with us this morning, I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 10, and then turn to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing, as though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Now if you would turn back to Hebrews chapter 10, I'll read just verses 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more, as you see the day drawing near. Let's pray together. So Lord, we are here. We've gathered together to again see Jesus, have your spirit work to encourage us and exhort us to move in us and transform us. God, to again grant our souls rest in the finished work and person of Jesus Christ. So come now by your Spirit. Teach us, transform us, work in us, give us rest. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are in a series called Citizens and Sojourners. And so if you're new with us this morning, I know we often have new folks with us for the the child dedications. You're here to 
see your, your grandkids or your family members. Uh, welcome. We're glad you're here to listen in. And what we're trying to do in this series as a church is just trying to get our hearts around who we are collectively together and what our calling is together in Jesus. In other words, how can the family of God savor and spread the beauty and goodness of Jesus? How do we do that? How are we, as those in Christ, able to enjoy Him, love Him above all else, and then spread Him? And so, so far we've seen that we're a people in Jesus, sins gloriously forgiven, gloriously covered in His perfect righteousness so we can rest, and He is the goal and fuel of all that we do. That's the goal and fuel of all we do is Jesus Christ. And He calls us to engage in the Great Commission to make disciples by embodying the greatest commands, loving Him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbors as ourselves. That's where we've been. In Christ, He's all of our fuel and all of our goal, and with Him as the fuel and goal, we want to love Him with all our heart. We want to love our neighbors, each other, and those in our neighborhoods, and our co-workers, and our family, and our friends, and all the way to the nations. We want to make disciples. We want to bring other people into this family by His grace. And so these next weeks, really what we're going to be talking about is how the Word of God gives us some really practical steps of faithfulness to empower us and to equip us to live out that identity and calling. In other words, trying to get to kind of like, how does the rubber meet the road? What are some things that the Word of God helps us to see that we're called to do that will help us engage in these realities? Step number one of these small steps of faithfulness today is that we must be a gathering people. A gathering people. So good job. You are here. You've passed the test. You are gathered. And I'm just calling this a biblically assumed but practically neglected nourishment. So I'm convinced that this is just assumed in the Bible that the church will gather. In other words, you can't find a place in the Bible where the church is talked about where the author is not thinking this is the people that gathers, that, that comes together that comes together not just once in a while or even once a quarter, but regularly, like week after week, to go after Jesus together. In fact, the word for church is ecclesia, which literally means gathering or assembly. So it would be a strange thing to be a gathering or assembly that never gathered. Or assembled, right? So this is just kind of assumed in the very word for church. But we see it all over the New Testament. The first thing we see the church doing and then doing again and again in the book of Acts as the church is formed is coming together. And as they come together, they hear the word, they sing, they pray, they take the Lord's Supper, and they fellowship. And then we see them do that again and again, and again, and here we are. What are we doing? We're gathering. We're singing. We're going to take the Lord's table. going to let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly, and we're going to fellowship. We see this assumption through the rest of the New Testament as well. In other words, the reason we're taking today to actually talk about what you're already doing 
is because it's so important in the assumption of everything else. The gathering of the church is not just a nice benefit, it's a necessity of the Christian life. It's an assumed essential of the Christian life. And it's for our good. When the Bible assumes something and commands something, it does so for our good, that we would walk in further obedience and walk in further freedom to Jesus. But often, it is practically neglected. Maybe, maybe especially in our culture, but what we know is that it was a problem in the church at times too. And we know that because the author of Hebrews warns the church, you just heard it read, to not neglect gathering together, right? Not to ne- neglect gathering together as is the habit of some. So there were some that were part of the church and the author's saying, hey, don't, don't fall into that pattern. I'm warning you not to do that. Watching church online is a nice tool when you're sick or out of town for the week or doing something like that, but it's, it's not gathering. And it's become like a really popular option. Let's go to church virtually, and I'm just saying that it's not church. It's not a, a gathering. It's not what it is. Right? Being gone weeks or months at a time is not the design God has for the good of our souls, but it's, it's normalized in the day and age we live in. What the Word of God prescribes for the good of our souls and the good of others in the blood-bought family of God is that we gather with the same old boring church week by week, season by season, year by year. So step one of faithfulness to love God, to love our neighbors more, to make disciples is simple. Come to church. We gather week by week and we do what's been happening since Acts 2 for like 2,000 years, right? And, and here's the thing. Many empires risen and fallen since then. Many places risen and fallen. Many institutions risen and fallen. And yet the church is still here by coming together, singing, hearing the word, taking communion, and fellowshipping together. And so I think it works. I think it works. Do you believe that it works? Let's see why it works. So what are we doing? So here's what I'm trying to get at. There's like, we're going to go to a couple different texts today, not just one, because I want to kind of frame what we're doing when we come together as the family of God. So the first thing we're doing when we come together is centering ourselves individually and together around God. So let's look at Revelation chapter 5 in verses 1 to 4. Hopefully you listened well to Sam and kept your bookmarks there. Here's what it says, verses 1 to 4 of Revelation 5. It says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. I think uh, we're getting a picture of reality in this scene in Revelation. The one on the throne, if you just look back to chapter 4, is God the Father and he's holding a scroll. 
And I think this is the scroll that we see in the book of Daniel and Isaiah. And if you don't have that memorized, all that it symbolizes is that this scroll is the will of God being able to come to pass at the end of time. That's what's going on. Here's this scroll that needs to be opened so that God's will can come to pass. What we see is this scroll is perfectly sealed with seven seals. When we see the number seven in Revelation, we're thinking perfect or complete. And no one is able to open it, which means, practically, God's will will remain sealed up and can't come to pass. What would be worse than that? What would be worse than God's will not being able to come to pass? This is so troubling that John, the one seeing this vision, he begins to weep loudly, it says. Why? What, what's going on in John as he sees this scene? Well, let me remind you quickly who this is written to. Right, right before these chapters are the chapters on what? The seven churches. This is a, a book written for the encouragement and the upbuilding of the church. Each one of these churches is strong in some ways and struggling in other ways, but the church in Rome as a whole at this time has endured and is gearing up to endure great persecution. Like some of the greatest persecution the church has ever seen. The kind of persecution that will have them lose jobs and homes and be dragged out of homes and thrown in prison and beaten and many of them will lose their lives in all sorts of horrible ways, ghastly ways. The weeping makes sense with the weakness and fragility of the church and the will of God sealed up and unable to come to pass. Imagine John seeing this, thinking of the the churches that he cares about, thinking of the persecution coming and going, oh no, God's will can't come to pass. How how will it come to pass? We'll look at verses 5 to 7. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered He can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. Now again, if you want to understand Revelation. I don't have time to go into all today. You can ask Daniel after the service. You just really want to read the Old Testament because all these pictures are already seen in the Old Testament. But here's what you need to know. I don't think that this is forecasting some future end times reality that's going to come to pass, but is showing the churches a picture of the reality right in that moment, and it's a reality that remains up to this very day getting a a picture into what's actually true and actually real. So what is that reality? The reality is there's someone who can open the scroll and bring about the will of God to pass. That's the reality we're seeing here. The promised king of David from the line of Judah talked about in Isaiah 49. He's come. He's conquered, he's ascended on high, he's a roaring, mighty lion. So we see royal power, roaring presence, right? Persecution's coming, don't worry, you have a lion on your side. 
roaring in power, mighty in presence. He's come. He's conquered. And so John's eyes are drawn to the throne where this one will appear, and he's drawn to the throne. He's going, I'm going to see a lion, a mighty lion. And as he's drawn to the throne, he looks, and instead there's a lion that looks a lot like a lamb. And yet the news is still good. Again, when you see the number seven in Revelation, you think of perfection or completeness. And this lamb has seven horns. Horns in the Old Testament, when you see it, mean power. This, this lamb is perfect, complete power and authority. You see seven eyes symbolizing perfect knowledge and, and sovereignty. And it's sent out into the earth by the perfect Holy Spirit. So here's a picture of a lion-like lamb and lamb-like lion with all the power and sending that power in his sovereign omniscience by the Spirit to bring about God's will. Just imagine what's changed in three verses. God's will can't come to pass. We're going to be persecuted. How in the world can we even go on another day to, he's here, he has all the power. He has all the authority. And he's going to send his presence to earth by his spirit. But there's one more important thing. This conquering, roaring lion is a slain lamb. The word here simply means it's a lamb that has been slaughtered as a sacrifice. The all-conquering lion with all the power to bring about the will of God through the perfect spirit has done so as a sacrificed, slaughtered lamb. He's become a slaughtered sacrifice. Ultimate power comes in the form of weakness. Ultimate life comes through death. Ultimate salvation comes through suffering. Ultimate victory comes through sacrifice. This is the picture of reality. The church looking and saying, look at ultimate power through sacrifice. Ultimate victory through suffering. That's us, right? Identifying here with this person. He has paid for our sins. He's the slaughtered lamb. So if you saw all that, what would happen next? Right? A worship service. What else could happen besides a worship service? The living creatures... They represent the strongest and best of all creation. So here's all creation gathering around. The the elders, I believe, represent the, the people of God. Here's the people of God gathering around. The angels are there to worship God. In other words, all of living creation is there. And what are they doing? They're centered around the throne of the Father and the throne of the Lamb that was slain, the same throne. And they're bowed down in awe and exuberant worship. That's what happens when you see this. Look at verses 8 to 10. When he had taken the scroll, signifying, I can bring this to pass, the four living creatures, all of creation, 24 elders, the people of God, fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp, and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. He hears your prayers And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open it, for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Do you think the suffering, persecuted, 
struggling, hurting churches needed to see this reality. Needed to have their eyes lifted above the struggle and the pain and the persecution. Do you think as they suffered that a conquering but suffering and slain lamb and his perfect sustaining power would have been good news like cold water for their thirsty souls? Anybody else this morning need to remember that in the midst of your struggles and persecution and trials that Jesus has paid for every last one of your sins and reigns on high for all eternity and you're going to reign with him? Anyone else need to hear that this morning? Like, does that matter Monday through Saturday? Of course it does. That's what the church needed to hear. And this, what we see in Revelation 5, is not Minnesota-type standing still kind of worship, is it? We'll see how you guys do after this, right? This is fall on your face, express with all you are kind of worship. So you can be expressive and exuberant in worship even in Minnesota. You can dance. This is a picture of reality right now. So this is a picture of reality for them as the church is. But I think what's happening, why the Lamb isn't there in Revelation 4 and now he's there in Revelation 5, is it's a picture of the ascension of Jesus Christ. He's just been slain, he's been put to death, and now he's risen and he's ascended. And the good news for us is he's still there. He's still reigning at the right hand of his Father. This is the picture of reality right now, not some future moment. The all-powerful Lamb has been slain. He can bring about God's will. He has sent the perfect Spirit to open the eyes of hearts and by his blood is ransoming people from every place to reign with him. So what do we do as the people of God? We have a worship service. We have a worship service week after week. Our week-by-week gathering is just a dress rehearsal for doing this for all of eternity. It's us again, together, centering all our hearts, souls, minds, and strength to love the Lamb that was slain and the one who sits on the throne. It's us realizing that the gospel that saved us and shapes us and the Spirit working in us and through us speaks a word of, of slain Lamb that brings life. A suffering Savior that brings salvation and a perfect spirit that will sustain us. That is enough to celebrate week after week, now and for all of eternity. That's what we're going to do. We're going to do this for all of eternity, only better without sin. And this is how, this is to give you some insight, this is how we shape our worship services. This This is how we plan them. Right, we gather together around the throne to see the bigness of God. You'll notice that. The first couple of songs that we're, we're celebrating who God is and how big He is and how worthy He is and all that He's done. Right? And then we, we confess our sins because right? we've fallen short of the glory of God. And then we come out of that celebrating that they have been forgiven by the slain Lamb and He will sustain us by His Spirit. That's what we're doing. It's how we shape our worship services. It's us coming together again as the blood-bought family of God to remember and rehearse that all of history and all of reality centers around the cross of Jesus Christ no matter what Monday through Saturday looked like. It's a reminder and a rehearsal of reality. It's us stoking our affections together to love Him with all that we are and go make disciples of Jesus Christ. This will often look like weakness and foolishness to the world. And so sometimes bring suffering 
But Revelation 5 is meant to remind us what we're doing, that he's worthy of the praise of our hearts and worthy of the praise of the whole universe for all of eternity. So when you come on Sundays, this is the mindset I want us to have going forward. When you come on Sundays, consider yourself in a dress rehearsal of this scene in Revelation 5. Over and over again, going hard after God. The reality of the orientation on the supremacy of King Jesus, the slain Savior that redeems weak and sinful people to reign with Him forever and is therefore worthy to be loved with all our hearts, souls, minds, and strength. So what we're doing. So what we're doing Sunday after Sunday, centering ourselves in this way around this slain and risen Lamb. Point number two, considering one another. It says, so let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So I talked in the beginning about not neglecting this, so I won't spend a ton of time there, but it's, it's obvious, right? You, you can't engage with us as a family in gathering to stoke our affections for Jesus together if you don't come, right? You just, you just can't do it with us. You can't be reminded of the slain Savior and encourage your brothers and sisters or be encouraged if you don't come. You can't be a part of the exuberant, expressive, more than Minnesota kind of worship that we're going to start having here if you don't come. But neglecting this is a recipe for spiritual apathy and drifting. Now, I'm not, I don't, like condemnation and shame does no good. Guilting does no good. This is an invitation. (laughs) Come and feast. Come and be with your family. Come and be with Jesus with your family. And I was, I was talking about this, and I'll say it again in a minute. But man, there are Sundays when I come here, and if I'm honest with you, I'm not ready to preach. My, something's going on in my heart. I'm frustrated or something's going on, and, and then I'm, I'm worshiping, and Nick starts, and I'm trying to get there, and I'm praying, and I look over at someone that I've been with that I know is suffering and struggling. Their hands are raised, and they're worshiping. I'm going, Jesus is real. He's real. I need my brothers and sisters here to sing with all their hearts and souls and minds and strength. So I remember Jesus is real. We need each other to do this. I can't do that at home. But I've been at home by myself before I'm there, and it's not working. I need my brothers and sisters to engage me. So we don't just go vertical. We do go vertical, but we do this together. We gather. We don't only center around God, but we're called to consider one another. Let's just get real practical. As you drive to church, pray for your heart, pray for your family, and pray for those people you know might not want to come. Or it might be really hard. Or it's really broken right now. Consider others as you drive to church. You should be preparing your heart to worship for the sake of others. How can I worship in a way that encourages others? How can I worship in a way that considers others? How can I show my love for my brothers and my sisters to stir them up to love Him and encourage them to praise Him? It's not just about you and God. It's about you and all of us together. Another practical way you consider others is as a song that is sung is not your favorite, but as words that point to Jesus, you know, maybe that's a a favorite of the person in the aisle over from me. 
I can can think about their interests more than my own. I can consider their needs as more important than my own. These words point to Jesus. I, I can sing. And then you trust that when it's your favorite up next and not theirs, they're doing the same thing. <laughs> I can sing these words. And both of you worship with full hearts. Not begrudging it's not your favorite, but singing with full hearts and thankfulness to God because you're unified and centering around Jesus and one another. Not just getting your preferences, right? This isn't a buffet line. Right? This isn't a, a grocery store. Right? This is the body of Christ, the family of Christ, centering around Jesus to go hard after him together. And you all, I'm just telling you, you have lots of different preferences about lots of different things. Praise God. But will we love, another, uh, love one another enough in those preferences to just go after him together, whether it's our favorite or not, and encourage one another and stir one another up? Your presence and praise is good for your soul and your blood-bought family that's here with you. And not only in the worship service, but one of the reasons we gather is to go after God, but the before time and the after time is huge. How can we be on the lookout in the commons or in the hallway upstairs when we walk in and when we're leaving for ways to encourage other believers? How can we make time on the front end and the back end to say, hey, we're going to stick around and see what God has for me here and encouraging others or being encouraged? How can I be prayerful for who God might bring to my mind to encourage or stir up to love and good works after the service? Who might he lead me to pray with? We don't just come to worship for ourselves as if we're just passive participants being served. We come as active participants to love and be loved, to encourage and be encouraged, to consider others and be considered. As you prepare the night before and as you get ready in the morning, as you drive here, you center your heart on the slain Savior and you consider your blood-bought family. We're here together. We do this together. If you come to worship centering on Jesus, all in for Jesus, considering one another, you will find in that prayerful centering on Jesus and prayerful considering of your blood-bought family, that you just don't have much time to be critical or cynical or choosy or distracted. It's not enough time. (laughs) Too much about Jesus to love and too much about my brothers and sisters to consider. I don't have time. Instead, we gather as individuals and as a family to love God with all our hearts because He's worthy and to love our neighbors, including our brothers and sisters, as ourselves. Point number three, communing together. So there's this vertical component of centering around God and this horizontal component of considering one another. And you'll notice that almost everything we do in the worship service just brings those two things together. And that wasn't our idea, right? We're not that good. This is just the time-tested, time-approved way that God has called his people to do it. It all happens as once as we commune together in some ways Jesus has given us as his people. In other words, the Word of God is sung, the Word of God is preached, the Word of God is prayed, and the Word of God is pictured in communion. And you'll notice when these things are described in the Bible is that there's this horizontal mingling that we'd go vertical together. So listen first uh, to Colossians three sixteen to 17. It says, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you, that you as a y'all, dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, 
in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So this verse highlights what we're called to do with Jesus together as one body and one family. So as one family, I'm just telling you, so vertical, horizontal, here's how God says we should do it. Right? Here's how God says we should do it. First, as one family, we have the word of Christ dwell in us richly. In other words, we're trying to see what does it say? <laughs> what's true? What's, what's real from the word of God? What does it say? What's true? What does it command us? Where is it leading us? What is it correcting in us? What is it reproving in us? And we're trying to see it in light of reality and submit to it because it brings freedom and life. It's a deep dwelling of the word of God that goes to work. Remember last week we were talking about how disciples are formed? And we said that you have to teach them to observe all that Jesus commands. Well, what do we do together when we come together here? We teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. This happens certainly as I'm preaching, but it's happening in the prayers. Right? It's happening in the worship. Teaching is happening. It's happening as we come to the table. It's happening as you talk to each other in the commons. We're teaching and we're admonishing one another as we consider and talk and pray for each other and all of it's happening. Like the scene in Revelation 5, we also can't help but sing with thankfulness in our hearts. Right? Jesus has saved us from our sins. Right? That is worth singing about. We were dead and he made us alive. We were rebels against him and he redeemed us to be his children. We were headed towards eternal punishment. He redeemed us to sing his eternal praise. It's worth singing about. We sing various types of song to give a diverse expression of the one message of salvation. We do it all in the name of Jesus, praising the lamb who was slain, the one on the throne, and go after him together in song. And so the word dwells richly, Praises go up, and like it says in 1 Corinthians 10 to 16 to 17, we take communion together week by week. Listen to how it talks about this horizontal and vertical thing, what communion is. The cup of blessing that we bless isn't not a participation in the blood of Christ. The bread that we break isn't not a participation in the body of Christ. That's us fellowshipping with Jesus. Because there's one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. That's not just me fellowshipping with Jesus, that's us fellowshipping with Jesus. We are many in one body, many members of one family, and the word here means fellowship. We remember the blood of Christ. We fellowship in the blood and body of Christ individually as we reflect on areas where we've let other things be our goal and our fuel. We confess it. Then we rest in Jesus and we stand and we rejoice again because the gospel saved us and keeps saving us until the day we're with him. But we also fellowship together around the gospel as a family. And so we need to ask Jesus where we need to forgive or be forgiven in this family, not letting bitterness grow up, laying down our bitterness and frustration and instead loving and forgiving as the one body of Jesus. And so we fellowship individually and together with Jesus as the word dwells richly, as we sing praises and as we take communion. We fellowship with Jesus and each other. And we do it all in the hope 
of centering ourselves around the redemption and reign of Jesus, considering one another in order that we might be encouraged and empowered and equipped to love God with all our hearts, souls, minds, and strengths, love our neighbors as ourselves, and then go out and make disciples. It's what's been happening for 2,000 years. So we hope you keep coming every week. (laughs) We hope you keep worshiping, and we hope you're all in to do this with us week by week by week, month by month by month, year by year by year, that Jesus may be made much of in our hearts and as us together and then go out into these south neighborhoods and all the way to the nations. Let me pray before we take communion. So King Jesus, we are so thankful. I'm so thankful uh, that I do not have to come up with new ideas. So thankful that you have paid for our sins, King Jesus. So thankful that you are the roaring, conquering lion of the tribe of Judah that conquered by being slain as a sacrifice for my sins, for our sins. So thankful that you've given us eternal life, given us the Holy Spirit to see you more and to love you more, and then given us this family of believers to encourage us all the more until the day comes. So God, I just pray that as we're here in this moment, Lord, you would recenter all of our hearts around Jesus. Lord, help us lay aside other things that have been the goal. Help us lay aside other things that have been the fuel. Lord, help us lay aside things that we know are keeping us from worshiping Jesus. Help us lay aside hidden sins. Help us lay aside bitterness and anger and frustration. Lord, help us lay aside um, just so many other things we've run after. And God, thank you that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So in this moment, we don't have to hold on to those things. We just lay them at the foot of the cross and say, Jesus, help. And you delight to draw near to us as we draw near to you. God, be with us as a people as we gather, as we worship. Form this people around the slain and risen lamb. Encourage your church around the slain and risen lamb. Give endurance to this place as your slain and risen lamb. And Lord, help our worship be fitting for the one who is worthy of everything. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.